deal. Um, if you're new to the branch, my name's Stephen. Uh, I have the privilege of serving as the lead pastor, one of the elders here. And just to speak into a few things that are ha- happening this morning, uh, college students are, are a really important part of our church. Um, and so we are very intentional with our slingshotting them back into the world. And so hear me tell you this, students. We are very thankful that you are here. We pray that your time as part of the branch has been know that your impact on us uh, will go far after you've left. And so thank you for serving while here. At the same time, uh, this is a family Sunday. Uh, So on the fifth Sunday of the month, so once a quarter, we invite all of our kids into the room. And we do that intentionally. We do it, one, to give our volunteers a day of rest, sort of, Uh, and two, to invite kids in to participate in and, and to watch us worship. And so know that it might be a little rowdy in here. Excuse them, right? We're training them up in the ways of the Lord. It's an important thing for them to see. And even as we send out college students who have graduated, those who are moving off to college, so many of you have played such an important role in serving in our kids' ministry. So what a day to invite our kids in here to witness uh, your graduation celebration. And so we're very thankful uh, for you. And kids, we're glad you're in here. I pray one thing for you today, and that's that you see the beauty and glory of Jesus this morning. So... Before I jump in, I've got a couple of announcements, a few things I want to make sure that you have on your radar. Um, The first is tonight is family reunion right here at the Park and Rec. Um, If you can let us know you're coming, it may be too late for that, but go ahead and do that so we know how to set the room and um, we'll have a meal and enjoy. We're going to hear from uh, Greg and Debbie who are here somewhere. Uh, Everyone is in the room, so no one's serving in kids today. You're all serving in kids today. So um, Greg and Debbie are going to share their story, which I'm very excited about. Um, And uh, so I hope you'll come join us tonight here for Family Reunion. Next Sunday, um, we have tried to be very intentional as a church about gathering to pray. And so before we lose momentum, before we lose the the importance of this day, I want you to hear me say, of all the things that we do, gathering together as brothers and sisters to pray is the most important task we have. And so we don't, I don't say that to like make you feel bad about not coming, okay, or to have the back room full of people to pray. Just know that if we are praying together as a people, the Lord goes before us. And so I pray that you'll join us. That's at nine uh, here in the back room. And so uh, we usually go from nine to nine thirty, and then we're ready for the service at 10. All right. Um, Family dedication. So if you have a a baby or a child that hasn't been dedicated uh, uh, in in the church, that's on May the 14th during the service. So you can let us know you want to do that. Um, I'm excited. That's also Mother's Day. Just kind of a cool day to do that. You would think that we do these things on purpose. We don't. We just get really lucky sometimes. Um, And then lastly, uh, Marshall Combs and Thomas Odom, you might be interested in this. I've heard from enough of you that you probably are, are going to be hosting a five-week class over the course of the summer on how to manage your money. And so, um, anyways, if you want to do that, go find one of them, find one of us, and we'll help you get connected uh, to that. So it'll be a five-week class, come and go. Um, Anyways, I think you'll be um, blessed by participating in that. So here's what we're going to do. We're in Exodus chapter 29. 
we have a lot to do, and we have children in the room. So I'm going to read uh, Exodus 29 as fast as I can. I even practice at, at my house. Um, story time is probably our most fun time, and I'm usually the one in charge of reading the book. And I have some incredible voices that are only reserved for my kids, so I'm not going to do that here. I'm just going to read Exodus uh, 29, although it might be um, a little bit more enjoyable if I did my Tickle Monster voice, um, but I will save that for family reunion. Okay, so here's what you need to know. And kids, listen to this, because I'm going to take this whole sermon, uh, which is what we're doing right now, and I'm going to boil it down to this. Chapter 29 is about one thing. It's about ordinary, sinful people being used by God. Okay, so here's what I mean. It's about me and you being used by God for God's glory and His purposes in the world. So we've been at now over a year in the book of Exodus, and we are just chugging along And uh, a few things that we know, and I need you to be reminded of these, but the rituals of consecration, and when we say consecration, we mean being set apart by God, okay, for his purposes, but the rituals of consecration remind us that these priests are sinners, okay? Aaron was a sinner. Moses was a sinner. Aaron's sons were sinners. Eventually, the whole Levitical priesthood are all sinners. And so what does God do to get us to this point? He gives them a mode, right? to enter into his presence. So the tabernacle is built with very intentional detail. The garments, and Andrew did a fantastic job. If you weren't here last week, I really do encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message online. But we get this this really fancy, heavy garment that the priest would wear to enter into the tabernacle. And why do we do that? Because in their wearing of this garment, they are reminded that they are sinners, And that God has called them out for his purposes. And so they get this this heavy garment with gold filigree and all the fine twine linen and all the things. But they are set apart, even as sinners, because of God's calling on their life. They are set apart for service to the Lord. Not because they are good, but because as broken, sinful people, they've been invited in by a good and gracious God. And all God's people said amen. All right, I know it's raining, but let's get here, okay? So the, the, the kind of the point here is that what we see in the tabernacle are sinners ministering to sinners, okay? That's what's happening here too, by the way, just to clear the air, all right? So, but no one enters. We know this because of the rest of Exodus tells us this. No one enters the presence of God apart from blood. No one. So we're going to see a lot of blood today. We're going to see bulls. We get to say dung today kids, okay? We get to say dung. We save this for you. But no one enters the presence of God apart from blood. But the priests needed a Savior. They needed a sacrifice to atone for their sins before they could serve God in the tabernacle. And here's the, here's the kind of the beauty in all of this. Because of their calling and God's promises, they can walk boldly into the tabernacle, and the high priest can walk boldly into the most holy place, confident that mercy will triumph over judgment. Can you imagine the first generation of priests who they know that if they walk into the presence of God apart from a sacrifice, they die? Right? So imagine being the first guy to be like, okay, I'm going to go in there. If I don't come back, just know we didn't do it right. Do it different the next time. Right? 
So here's what we get. Today is all about the consecration or the ordination of the priest. It's a lot of text, so bear with me. I'm going to do a lot of reading, and I will try my best throughout uh, the reading of Exodus 29 to chime in with the big things that we need to take away. And then obviously at the end, there's so much beauty at the end of Exodus 29, a good and healthy reminder for who we are in Christ. So Exodus 29, verse 1. Now, This is what you shall do to them to consecrate them. Talking about the priest. The them is the priest. That they may serve me as priests. Take one bull of the herd and two rams without blemish. And unleavened bread, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, and unleavened wafers smeared with oil. You shall make them of fine wheat flour. You shall put them in one basket and bring them in the basket and bring the bull and the two rams. Verse 4, you shall bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance. See who gets there first. The sacrifices come first. The offerings come first and then the priests come. Bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting and wash them with water. So the first, the first way that they're consecrated is they're washed with water. Okay, so there's going to be four ways that these priests are consecrated, okay? And we're going to come back around these of how we are consecrated as followers of Jesus today. But the first one is they're washed with water. Now, this isn't like a sprinkling, okay? They don't just sit back with a soaker hose and just give them a quick thing. This is a rigorous washing, okay? This is like the shower that the 14-year-olds in the room need to go have after church today. This is a deep cleansing, but the priests are washed with water. Verse 5, then you shall take the garments, these are the garments that we talked about last week, and put on Aaron the coat and the robe of the ephod, and the ephod and the breastpiece, and gird him with the skillfully woven band of the ephod. You shall set the turban on his head and put the holy crown on the turban. So the second way is they're robed with the righteousness that God had declared over this garment that he had them create. So if you're confused on what, just go read Exodus 28. Okay? All the details in this garment is how God issues his righteousness onto these people. So they're robed with righteousness. Verse 7. You shall take the anointing oil and pour it on his head and anoint him. The third way that they're consecrated is that they are anointed with oil. It's a lot of oil, too, by the way. Okay? So they would pour it on their head and it would drip down their beards. It would hit their feet. They were covered in oil. Verse 8. Then you shall bring his sons and put coats on them. You shall gird Aaron and his sons with sashes and bind caps on them, and the priesthood shall be theirs by a statute forever. So once they are established as priests, they are priests forever. Now, one of the things that we're going to learn over the next couple of weeks looking forward in Exodus is that Aaron's family is pretty dysfunctional, okay? They they get a lot wrong, and yet God is still gracious and still pursues them and still sets them apart for his work in the world, okay? Exodus 32 is a perfect example where Aaron is the one who's leading the charge in making of the golden calf. And ultimately what we see is that the consequence is death and separation. Aaron doesn't get to enter the Holy Land. He doesn't get to enter the promised land that the Hebrew people are going to. Okay, They've been wandering now for 40 years. Aaron doesn't get to see it. But, end of verse 9, thus you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. Their disobedience doesn't catch God off guard. He still ordains them knowing that in just a couple of pages they are going to fall away. Verse 10. Here we go. All right, I'm going to read for a a minute here. 
We're going to get the sacrifices. We're going to see some blood. This is where the dung happens, okay? All right? I, don't, I think that's funny, all right? You don't get to say that often in church, and it's okay, right? Usually if I say poopy words, I get in trouble. Today I get to say them, and I get to keep my job. All right, verse 10. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting. Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Okay? What they're doing here is they're taking their sin and they are laying it in a physical form. They are laying it on the bull. Verse 11, Then you shall kill the bull before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and shall take part of the blood of the bull and put it on the horns of the altar with your finger. And the rest of the blood you shall pour out at the base of the altar. You shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and burn them on the altar. Verse 14, but the flesh of the bull and its skin and its dung, you shall burn with fire. Where does it say? Burn it where? Outside. Outside of the camp. It is a sin offering. So there's something I want to point out here. Where was Jesus crucified? Was he crucified in Jerusalem or did he have to go outside of Jerusalem? He goes outside of the holy city. He goes up to the mountain of the skull, the place of Golgotha, and that is where he is crucified because it is our sin that was laid on him. It was our junk that was laid on him, that ultimately is what died on the cross, okay? As Christ died, he bore our shame, he bore our sin, and there it was crucified once and for all. Amen. Okay. All right. Verse 15, then you shall take one of the rams, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram, and you shall kill the ram, and shall take its blood, and throw it against the sides of the altar. Then you shall cut the ram into pieces, and wash its entrails and its legs, and put them with its pieces and its head, and burn the whole ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord. Listen to this. It is a pleasing aroma. We're going to see this repeated. A food offering to the Lord. Now, a reminder from about a month ago, God doesn't need food for sustenance, okay? He craves the meal, though, right? He craves what we see around a table. The familial, when you sit down at Thanksgiving, right, and you just pretend that everything is okay, and you sit and enjoy dinner together, all right? God enjoys communing with his people. Please don't miss that. All right. Uh, what, what do aromas do, though, to our brains? Right? There is some real like, science here. I'm not a scientist, so just trust me on this. Uh, aromas, though, trigger our memories, don't they? Uh, uh, my brother and I were in Germany uh, in March, and our grandmother was German. And so growing up in her house, it had a certain smell. We go to Germany, we enter into the hostel where they made us stay, and it smelled like her house. She passed away in uh, last year, and all of a sudden, I was filled with memories, like really good memories of going and spending the night at her house or eating Spetzla and Roladen or sitting on the carpet and watching the braids with my grandfather. Like, that's what aromas do, a scent, and all of a sudden, I was 12 again, and everything was right in the world, okay? So that's what's happening. This aroma is a reminder back to God of the promises that he has made. Verse 19, you shall take the other ram, and Aaron his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. You shall kill the ram and take part of its blood and put it on the tip of the right ear of Aaron, and on the tips of the right ears of his sons, and on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the great toes of their right feet, and throw the rest of the blood against the sides of the altar. So the fourth way that they're consecrated is they are now sprinkled with blood. Okay? So the priests have been washed with water, robed with righteousness, anointed with oil, and now they've been sprinkled with blood. Verse 21, then you shall take part of the blood that is on the altar and on 
and of the anointing oil and sprinkle it on Aaron and his garments and on his sons and his sons' garments with him. He and his garments shall be holy. Who gives the holiness? God does. And his sons and his sons' garments with him. Verse 22, you shall take the fat from the ram and the fat tail and the fat that covers the entrails and the long lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them and the right thigh, for it is a ram of ordination. Okay? Verse 23, one loaf of bread and one cake of bread made with oil and one wafer out of the basket of unleavened bread that is before the Lord. You shall put all these on the palms of Aaron and on the palms of his sons and wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. Then you shall take them from their hands and burn them on the altar on top of the burnt offering as a pleasing aroma. See the repetition. Before the Lord, it is a food offering to the Lord. Verse 26, take the breast of the ram of Aaron's ordination and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord, and it shall be your portion. And you shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering that is waved and the thigh of the priest's portion that is contributed from the ram of ordination, from what was Aaron's and his son's. It shall be for Aaron and his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel, for it is a contribution. It shall be a contribution from the people of Israel, from their peace offerings, their contribution to the Lord. So what are we seeing? We're seeing all of this detail in these sacrifices because these men have been set apart for a holy and righteous work. What do the priests ultimately do? They petition on behalf of God's people to God. They are the conduit to the presence of God, okay? So here's the way that this works out. You have sin in your life. What do you do? You come to the priest. You confess your sin. You bring a poor animal, and that animal, then its bloodshed is then your redemption. Thank God we don't do that anymore. They don't like us putting water on the gym floor. Can you imagine having blood all over the gym floor, okay? Let's keep going. Verse, tw- let me do this too, because this, this, this is a lot, all right? Why are we doing this? Why are we reading 46 verses? Because it's important. We're not going to skip it because it's repetitive. We're not going to skip it because it feels like it doesn't make sense. Hopefully by the end of this, when we look into the New Testament, we will see the perfect beauty of what God is doing here in Exodus 29. All of Scripture is what? Profitable. All of it. Every single Word. Verse 29, the holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him. Do you see the generational change here? They shall be anointed in them and ordained in them. The son who succeeds him as priest, who comes into the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place, shall wear them for seven days. You shall take the ram of ordination and boil its flesh in a holy place. Aaron and his sons shall eat the flesh of the ram. And the bread that is in the basket in the entrance of the tent of meeting. They shall eat those things with which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration. But an outsider shall not eat of them, because they are holy. And if any of the flesh of the, for the ordination or of the bread remain until the morning, then you shall burn the remainder with fire. It shall not be eaten because it is holy. Do you remember God's provision for the people in the wilderness? What does he provide? He provides the manna. Why does he do that? Because they were complaining about being hungry. So every morning, the fields were full of this sweet bread. But what was the reality? If they, if they hoarded it, what happened to it the next day? It gets spoiled. 
So even in how God is ordaining the priests, he is reminding them of his daily provision in their life. Don't miss it, right? Verse 35, Thus you shall do to Aaron and to his sons according to all that I have commanded you. Through seven days shall you ordain them. This was a long process. Every day you shall offer a bull as a sin offering for atonement. Also you shall purify the altar when you make atonement for it and shall anoint it to consecrate it. Seven days you shall make atonement for the altar and consecrate it. And the altar shall be most holy. Whatever touches the altar shall become holy. Verse 38. Now, this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs, a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. This is the original daily quiet time, okay? Verse 40. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen of beaten oil and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. 41. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak to you there. Don't miss it. There I will meet with you, and there I will speak to you. Verse 43. We're close. There I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. It shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priest. Verse 45, and here is the whole point, 45-46. I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. How many times do we need to hear that? It seems like week after week, God is reminding, you will be my people, and I will be your God. They shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. You see, there's beauty in what's happening. There is rich significance in what's happening with the bull, what's happening with the rams. Because as they participate in these sacrifices, God is to continuing to call them out for his purposes. Okay? So the priests needed a sacrifice to be brought back into the presence, and as they do that, God is consecrating them. He is setting them apart. They are different. They are other. Okay? But it's for his purpose, for his glory. So what about us? Why am I wearing a golf shirt and jeans and not a big, heavy robe? I tried uh, to get a robe. Uh, We didn't have the budget for it. We also meet in a public space, so we're working on trying to get our own building, so we're going to save the garment for next year. But why? Why why do things change? What does this mean for us? And really, the only point, and if if you have your Bible, go over to Hebrews chapter 10. I'm going to read from a couple passages there. But Jesus is our great high priest. So if he's our great high priest and he doesn't need a special garment to represent his holiness because he is holy in and of himself. He doesn't need to be reminded with the name, the tribes of Israel across his chest and stones because the tribes of Israel, my name and your name, are stamped on his heart forever. He doesn't need it because he is 
holy, and he represents us to God. So, let's see, where's my, the right ribbon? All right, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, it says this, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Hello. I'll read it again. Hear the word never. Every day, priests stand daily. This is, a, this is exactly what God is telling them to do in Exodus 29. Every day, every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But, okay, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, how many sacrifices? It was only one. It was a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It's the same word from Exodus 29. Verse 15, the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds. How many times? No more. This is the hope that we have in Jesus, that all the garbage in our lives, all the dung, he remembers no more. Not anything. So I don't care what you did last night. I don't care what decision you made on Monday. I don't care what's happening in your life. He remembers your sins no more. And so in repentance and forgiveness, we turn. Verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin because there was one for all time. So if you are in Christ, you are a priest. This is an idea that Martin Luther put forward. It's called a priesthood of all believers. So we've all been called. If you are in Christ, if you are a confessing Christian, you have been called by God to participate in his mission in the world. 1 Peter 2 says this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So everyone who stood up here this morning, they have the same job that I have, to be a priest, to be a priest in the world. No matter what God's calling you into next, you are going to be a bearer of good news, a beacon of hope and light in the world, in the place in the world that God is calling you to go serve. So how has God in Christ Jesus spiritually set us apart to accomplish his work? How has he consecrated us? I'm glad you asked. I got four ways. The first is we are washed by water. It's exactly the same. Titus 3 verse 4 says this, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs. We might become heirs. If there's ever a prayer to pray for the children in the room, it is that one. 
that they may become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, You were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. This is why we do baptism. It is a symbol of the washing of our sins. It's a full-on immersion. If you were here at Easter and you were baptized, most of you went home really wet. Okay? Some of you might have still had a little bit of dry hair. We'll redo it next year. But the idea is that what we're symbolizing is you're buried with Christ. You are washed. Your sins are now removed and you're raised to, what do we always say? Newness of life. Okay? That is what we're doing. So the second way that God sanctifies his people today is that we're robed with righteousness. Back to Luther, he calls this the great exchange. Galatians chapter 3 says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ a much beautiful, a much more beautiful robe than what the priests had in the tabernacle. But it's weighty, just like the robe that the priests had was heavy. To walk in the world as a Christ follower is a weighty responsibility. You have a task. It is one task to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That is what the weight of a Christian is. 2 Corinthians 5 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the second way that we are sanctified is that we are robed with righteousness. The third way, and this is where it's different. This is where now we've always looked at Moses and thought, man, I wish I could be Moses. Like, I want the faith that he has. I want the, the perseverance that he has, the, the back and forth with God. Even though he doubted early and he killed a guy, like Moses is an example, hero of our faith. And this would be where Moses would look at us and he says, man, I want to be you. We are anointed not with oil, but with his spirit. Okay? We are anointed with his spirit. 1 John chapter 2 says, When you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. 2 Corinthians, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ, and has anointed us, and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee stamped, signed, sealed, delivered forever, forever. We are anointed with his spirit. Now, if you've been in church at all over the course of your life, anointing is a word, depending on your background, that you either run to or you run from. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I want to kind of clear the, clear the table here. The anointing of the spirit is something that happens one time. So I know most of you come up after the service and say, man, that was a really anointed service right? Uh, no one has ever done that. Or, man, that was a really anointed sermon. Again, none of you have ever done that. But you could, and the response would be, no, what you meant to say was that it was filled with the Spirit. That's what we mean, because we were anointed once. We were consecrated once. You don't get more anointed. Now, you do get more filled with the Spirit, but once you have been anointed, you have been anointed. So when we say that, what we usually mean is spirit-filled service. Little Berkeley is filled with the spirit right now too, if you can't hear. Okay. All right. So the anointing happens though at consecration, or it happens when we trust in Jesus. Okay. It happens when we trust in Jesus and the spirit comes to live inside of us and we walk in the spirit. We live by the spirit, but we are once and for all anointed. Okay. So am I an anointed preacher? Yes. 
Absolutely. The Spirit of God is living inside of me, but I am no more anointed than you are. Now, I might be walking more with Jesus, or you might be walking more with Jesus, but we're equally anointed in Christ. Because the promise that he gave us is that if I come to live inside of you, I will stay there forever. Fully. Okay? So we have been anointed. I hope that makes a little bit of sense. The last way is that we've been sprinkled with blood. Hebrews, back to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. I'm going to pick up right where we left off. Therefore, brothers, and we've read this before in this uh, sermon series, since we have confidence, these were even the songs, these are, these are words that we were singing earlier. We have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and let our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast our confession, or the confession of our hope, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. God is a promise maker, and he is a promise... We're 31 minutes in. Let's go. He is a promise maker, and he's a promise keeper. Every time. Every promise made in the power of God's Spirit is fulfilled in him and him alone. So what do we see here? We see that Jesus is the better prophet who, unlike Moses, never fails. He never doubts in God's purposes. That Jesus is the better priest who, unlike Aaron, doesn't need garments or sacrifices because he is holy and righteous in himself. And that is how we are drawn near to God. Our names are no longer on a breast piece, but on the heart of the Son of God, who came and he died, was buried and resurrected. And the hope that we have is that one day he will come and make all things new. So now we who are in Christ, are priests, but we are also the dwelling place of God since he lives in us. So now they, the priest would enter into a tabernacle. Now, after the resurrection of Jesus, now we, have, we are priests and the tabernacle in the world. God is using us. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? Within you, whom you have from God, you are not your own. So, college graduates, guess what? Whatever God's calling you to go do, you are not your own. Little kids in the room, you're not your own. Your parents aren't their own either. For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. As we land the plane this morning, I was reminded of the great hymn. Listen to these lyrics. I promise to not sing them. I might read a little better than I have been, but I'll try not to sing. But it says, Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love. Whoever lives and pleads for me, my name, your name, is graven on his hands. And my name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thence depart. So what do we do? Consecrated, ordained, set apart, the priesthood of all believers, what do we do? Well, I'll tell you what we can't do. 
We can't wallow in our sin. We can't feel bad about what we've done. We have to rest in the finished work of Jesus. We have to walk boldly that his blood was poured out once and for all. He is enough. And we have the Spirit dwelling inside of us. How awesome. How awesome is that? And the bulls get to live. I have a great high priest whose name is love. If you don't know him, I pray that you will trust him. Walk with people in this room. They'll keep pointing you. We say it all the time. We're just crossing guards, pointing people to Jesus. That's all we do. That's, what, that's our purpose. We are set apart for that work. If you have trusted Jesus, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. We close our service by going to the table, which are in the back. We take a piece of bread and we dip it in the cup. And if you're a believer, this is the time for us to rest in those promises, to remember what God has done. You have been set apart for a holy work in the world. Some of you have been called to be teachers. Some of you have been called to be nurses. Andrew did everyone last week. I can't do that again. It was very impressive. But all of us have been called to do something. And sometimes we let doubt creep in that, man, that thing's not good enough. Not all of us have been called to be preachers, but all of us have been called to be priests. So rest in that promise. And as you go to the table, walk in the Spirit. Our elders and some of our staff team will be over here by the book nook. Um, if you want to pray, we would love to pray with you. If you want to pray, we will, we'll meet you over there, and, and we'll do that. But as we close our service, walk confidently, walk boldly as the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're thankful for college students who are moving into the next season of their life. And some may stay here and some are going to move. We pray that you would go before them and pave a way for deep, faithful, robust community, people to walk alongside them, to love and to guide them, to exhort and encourage them, and to always point them back to you. So we thank you for Jesus this morning. I pray that for every little ear in the room, that they would hear that Jesus has come to save them. That sin has separated us from a good and loving God, and in his graciousness and his mercy, he has sent his son so that we might know him and walk confidently. So I pray that little gospel seeds that were planted in every heart this morning, and as we continue to watch them grow, uh, we long for the day where we celebrate uh, salvation in their lives. So we thank you, we love you, we trust you, we pray these things with boldness, with courage, and with confidence. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.